0: Welcome to Momentum Church. Today we start a new series, and I don't know about y'all, I always love the starts of new series. And so this series is called Mastermind, Mastermind. Let me ask y'all, some of you, have you ever been a part, maybe in a business endeavor, have you ever been a part of a mastermind? Have you heard that term before? Okay, let me ask you this question. Raise your hand. <laughs> That's an inside joke if you missed last Sunday. Raise your hand if you've heard that term mastermind used before. Good. Use integrity. Put your hand down. No, i <laughs> Amy and I have laughed about that faux pas all week long. So <clears throat> I didn't want to blame it on the line because you can't blame everything on a bug that bit you. Amen. But, you know, I will say this. I'm going to give God praise. This is day five. I have had no pains in my body for five days. (laughs) Amen. That's a big deal. First time since the first week of July. I haven't had pains, and there were some freaky moments. Three weeks ago, I went blind in my left eye for three days. Scared me to death. It has slowly come back. I'm still about five percent blurry in my left eye. I've had it to where I've spent days where my teeth felt like every tooth had a cavity. Last weekend, it felt that way last Sunday, but I didn't blame my faux pas on that. I just was an idiot, <laughs> but um, but my teeth hurt. They felt like every tooth had a cavity, and my cheeks and jaws felt like a brain freeze, which is awesome when you're drinking a slushy, but not when you're preaching. So, um, so there's that, and then I spent a couple days the last few weeks using the kings. I thought my hip was falling out. It's a stupid, stupid thing, and so keep praying for me. But I feel great. I really do. The last five days have been awesome, and um, I thank you for bearing with me this summer because it's been a, it's been a learning experience. So. Mastermind, As you said, you raised your hand. And so what a mastermind is, it's it's an experience where a bunch of people will get together. Sometimes it's once a week, sometimes it's once a month, but over a period of time, a group of people will gather and it's a tool that you can use to develop success in your area of, of work or your area of desire to grow in. It's a group of people they meet and they're determined to not just meet their own individual goals, but together, they're wanting to accomplish more together, learning from each other, regarding business or regarding these different ideas of of life change and so on that, that they're presently walking in. They want to go somewhere, and the mastermind brings a collective mind together to get there. They work together normally in these kinds of things to remove limiting beliefs and practices, and they do that by sharing knowledge and experience with each other, and they help each other solve problems. And embrace potential for future outcome, for future success. That's what a mastermind is. And if you ever were a part of a mastermind, they'll tell you this. Today isn't the mastermind. Today's the day we meet. The mastermind is what you do with what we walk in today till the next time we meet okay? And this series is a mastermind. It's not just a Sunday morning experience. By the time we end today, I'm going to give you a resource and a way to link up with that resource that will help you in your first mastermind practice this coming week. So what you do this week with it, that's the mastermind. Amen? Now, it's a double entendre. I like to call it a double entendre, It is because I want you not just to have a mastermind experience, I want you through this series to learn to master your mind. Amen? Over the next four weeks, I'm inviting you to master your mind as we help you break free from what's limiting you, amen? What's standing in your way of accomplishing your goals and seeing spiritual and personal growth? Now, when you begin to teach about things that I'm teaching about in the next four weeks, sometimes people will say, well, that sounds like psychology. Is that even ministry? Is that even spiritual? Can I tell you something? Everything is spiritual to the spiritual. Amen? When you're saved, when you apply those principles we see in Scripture, man, that's spiritual. And I believe God wants to bless your goals. I believe God wants to bless the future accomplishments that you have. I believe that God wants you to be able to live and lead your way in a way, your life in a way that breaks free from negativity. Amen? You guys aren't shouting up in here. All right. And so the series is going to show you some things. I love this. And what it's going to do, it's going to show you how science has finally caught up with the word of God in regards to what it takes to reprogram and master your mind. We're going to discover how to change our thoughts and actions, leading us to desired outcomes in all areas of life. Now tell me if this is something that might help you. Areas of personal growth. Reaching goals, overcoming negativity, but wait, there's more. Sounds like that, doesn't it? Creating a positive attitude, changing your self-talk. That's huge. Man, you guys don't realize how bad I self-talk. In the last year or two, I've really gotten delivered, but ever since I was a little boy, there was a voice in me that would say, you're not enough. No matter how much I accomplished, on the soccer field, no matter how much I accomplished. Man, I started my first business when I was 10 years old. I mean, like, like, I accomplished a ton through school, you know? And no matter what I did, it was still never enough. I can't tell you how many Sundays for years walk off the platform. And by the time I was in my truck driving home, oh, man, you should have done this. You should have said that. You could, you know, and just beat myself up. I, I, I would tell Amy stuff. I can't believe this. You know what she told me one day? She said, Stop talking about my pastor that way. <sighs> Come on. That's a good woman. That's why I give her good loving. That's the line talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, she's, Don't talk about my pastor that way. You're my pastor. Don't talk. And man, the Lord has broke that in my life, but it took some time. It took some time. That old negativity still rises up, that negative self talk. Maybe for you, it's, it's being able to break free from the stronghold of addiction or some sin that you just can't get past. See, in life, while pressing towards your goals, I guarantee you one thing. You are going to face opposition. <laughs> doesn't it feel like that? Just as soon as you make up your mind to go after something, then all the opposition comes. Maybe there's somebody that doesn't want you to walk in the best that God has for you. Just Maybe. I think there is. I think there's somebody that wants us to have a battle and a fight on our hands. I want you to think about something. There, there was a 19th century, early 19th century painter, last name Reach, in 1831, he painted a painting, it's in the Louvre, and, and basically, when people would see this painting, we'll put it up on the screen, when people would see this painting, their mind would start to look at it and... and it looks like the man on the right is in contemplation. He's forlorn. He looks as if he's, what am I going to do next? And the man on the left, well, frankly, looks like the devil. Now, truth of the matter is, it's most likely a rendering of Mistopheles and Faust. Faust at this time was a German writer, and some believe that this is a picture of him wrestling with Mephistopheles, which is basically a personification of the devil in a sense. Okay, And so many look at it as the devil fighting man. And as this game is going on, the, 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 the narrative of the picture is that the man is stuck. And over time, this has become a picture that is called checkmate. It's known as checkmate. And it depicts these two chess players. Let's say one is Satan, and one is the other player looking at a loss. And Satan kind of just looking pretty confident there. And if you know anything about the game of chess, you know it all comes down to when the king on either side can move no more. That's, that's it. And once the king is trapped, the winning side declares, declares, exactly. And that king is Stuck. The the, the game is over at that point, and I just want to say when it comes to life, sometimes you may feel stuck. You want all the achievement. You want to grow. You want to develop everything we just said, but you feel stuck. Do you ever find yourself thinking things like this? I can't change. Even if I try, I'll always be in this situation. It's being stuck. I can't get out of debt no matter what I do. Something else always comes down the pike. I always struggle financially. I'm stuck. No one really loves me. Relationships are hard. Or maybe it's this. If they knew the real me, they definitely wouldn't want me in their life anymore. I'm just not good at relationships. Every time I get ready to get close to somebody, I always do something to mess it up. I just feel like when it comes to relationships... I'm stuck. You know, people in my family, we just big boned. That's it. We just big, we struggle with our weight. People in my family, we, we just struggle with alcohol. People in my family, it's just how we are. We're Irish. We got tempers. Don't, don't say that because they'll punch you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in our family, I mean, there's that negative, we're stuck. This is the paradigm of my life. This is the structure. I can't change this in my life. I want to get close to God. But for some reason, I never feel close. There must be something about me that keeps me from experiencing God like other people do. And it causes you to become stuck spiritually. Oh, I got great ideas, but I stink at follow through. I, I don't know if it's procrastination, or fear of the future, or fear of failing. I don't know. I just know I got great ideas, but they never come to fruition. See all that stuff? Setting patterns in your mind, programming who you are. And so, man, when it comes down to this this painting, let's go back there. When it comes down to this painting, there was a tour one day. And as the curator is taking people on the tour, they come past this painting. And in the group of Tourists, there is a man who was a grand champion chess player. And so as they come by, they see this painting, and everybody looks at it, and they all kind of give their interpretations, and they all fell along the lines of checkmate, you know, the man's stuck, the man's gonna lose, etc. And then they leave, but the chess master can't leave. He, he just he's mesmerized by it, and he just looks, he looks intently at the board, and he's thinking. As he looks at the board. He sees things that others wouldn't see because he's a chess master. He understands the game that others wouldn't understand because it's not the level that he plays that game. And so the grandmaster stares a long time and he begins to realize: wait, the devil seems to be the obvious victor. But guess what? That's not the case. Though the devil seemed to be the obvious victor, he was in fact not winning. According to the arrangement of the pieces left on the chessboard, the man had one more move. This faithful move would make the game turn in the man's favor. So the grandmaster gets all excited. He calls the curator to come back and to look at the painting. And he explains to the curator, listen, sir, I am a grandmaster. I know this game since my youth. One of the tops in the world. And so when I look at this board, you either need to change the painting or you need to change the name of the painting. Why? Because the king has one more move. Oh, that'll preach. Oh, I just got chills. You may feel stuck, but I'm here to tell you this morning, the king has one more move. Amen? You're not over. It's not over till it's over. He has one more move. You may feel as if your marriage is at the end, but guess what? The king has one more move. You may feel as if your health you can't overcome. The king has one more move. Your finances are struggling, but the king has one more move. Amen? But The enemy of our heart, the battle in our mind, he would love for us to feel stuck and defeated. He would love for us to feel that way. You can feel stuck in life, bound to patterns in your thinking, actions, and circumstances that you struggle to get through, struggle to overcome, or struggle to achieve. But we've got to remind ourselves, if our king has one more move, guess what? That means you have one more move too. That's good preaching, Ross. You're never stuck in the situation you're in. And I can prove that. You ready for this? I can prove that spiritually and scientifically. And I'm going to geek out on you this series a little bit, all right? I love science. I love it. And we're going to be looking at some stuff because I believe you're never stuck. And I believe that the Bible proves this. And psychology and life and the world, science isn't afraid. of Theology, rather, isn't afraid of science. Amen? It's taken years for different scientific facts to catch up with theology. I'll give you one. Flat Earth. And you're looking at me, we're gonna to get to the Bible and give you a bunch. Just hold on. Flat earth. Now I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands how many flat earthers here we have today, but I know we have some. And I knew it was you. I knew. No. No. Well, so you and Pastor form a club. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say Pastor Corey? You yeah, flat earther. No. But for centuries, exploration was limited, not by reality, what could be perceived and observed and measured, but it was limited by what took place between two ears. It was limited in the battlefield of the mind. And with it, people didn't explore. They they didn't go beyond a certain point in the ocean for fear they would fall off. They were defeated and limited, again, not by reality, but, but by what was going on in their minds. They believed that, the, believe that literally uh, sea serpents and all sorts of stuff. And man, they missed the poles. They missed the, 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 the other parts of the world that they could go to. But for them, it was the reality. And it took centuries for that to change. There's another reality that people have walked in for years, and it has shifted. And I'll explain that from a scientific fact. But people have believed that the human brain stopped growing or changing when they became a young adult. As they came into their 20s, for years, scientists believed this, that the human brain is fixed. If you will, it's stuck. All the things you went through as a kid, all your experiences and everything, it's static. And the human brain didn't develop past that time. That's how we were taught in regards to our behaviors that were linked to our childhood, and I do believe that. But for years, the thought was that the brain was stuck. Say stuck. Now, we know the flat earth. We know differently now, right? It's the same way with the brain. We know differently. The breakthrough discovery, and here's a great word. I want you to say this after me. The breakthrough discovery of neuroplasticity. Oh, you want to say that again? That's just fun, neuroplasticity. Isn't that fun? And this sermon is coming out of some things I read like like about nine months ago, and I got so excited about neuroplasticity. I mean, I was literally reading about neuroplasticity and just, whoo, Almost oh, speaking tongues! I'm so excited. I was because it was just showing how theology or science is catching up with theology. And so neuroplasticity it revealed that our brain is designed to change throughout our lifetime. During the series, we're going to look at both science and God's word to show you some things. To show you, uh, like how do you break free from a habit? You know, like when it comes down to it, and you feel like you can't connect with God. Why? How do you create a different loop? of feeling and experience. How do you manage the, like losing your temper? What's that look like to shift that? And we can go on and on, you know, and you're right. The brain in some ways can be static and fixed if we allow it to be, but science has proven that it doesn't have to remain that way. So if you're going through life and you're like, why too often do I make bad decisions? Why do my wife and I fight so much? How do I shift that? and so on. I'm so consumed by negativity, fear, and worry. How do I shift that? I believe that both the Bible and science is going to help us with this. And I believe that really the science is just a marker of what the scripture has been saying for 3,500 years. Amen? And so why do we have this fight, this struggle? Because the battle is in the mind. You're in a battle of the mind. And I want to say it this way. It's critical that you become aware of the fight in your thought life. This is the crux of today, and I'm going to give you a tool at the end. You've got to become aware of the, 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 what's going on in your thought life, the fight in your thought life. You can't change what you do not confront. And there's going to be a lot of stuff like this in here. So you go to mymomentumchurch.tv, mymomentumchurch.tv, and find the notes. And this week you're going to use those notes, go over this stuff. And then there's actually an exercise at the end of it that I'm gonna have you doing this week. I'll explain it later. But these things I want you to be able to meditate on. You cannot change what you do not confront. If you ignore the battle, guess what? You lose the battle. There's not one person in this room that is free from addiction that didn't have a choice first before they walked free of addiction. No, my Jesus, he just delivered me. No, he didn't. Oh, y'all looked at me like I just said like I'm being sacrilegious. No, no, no. He draws near to those who draw near to him. There was a moment when you said, I'm done with my addiction, and I know the promise that God says that I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. Well, for me to be strengthened, I gotta be weak first. And every time I took that drug, that was my strength. And one day I said, I'm done getting my strength from the drug. I'm gonna be all things. I'm gonna do what God's told me to do. I'm gonna get so weak that only I have is Jesus. That's all I got. And then I could become more than a conqueror through him who strengthened me. There came a day where I just submitted myself to him and deliverance came. Isn't that cool? And that's some of y'all's story. And other stories that you have is there came a day where I went to AA and guess what? That's awesome. And I did my 40 and 40. That's awesome. And I kept going every day. That's awesome. There's other people in the room. I went to a counselor. That's awesome. All I'm saying, there was action that you begin to do to start in your thought process, and as that created a new experience and a new loop of understanding, God got involved with that and brought deliverance, and only Jesus brought the deliverance. It wasn't AA, it wasn't, it wasn't um, 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 counseling, it wasn't psychology, it was Jesus who used all, you know, Oral Roberts University, that's the school I went to, my seminary. And and Oral taught this. And he was a healing evangelist in the 40s and 50s. And in 60, I think three, he planted that school. And and he taught there's two flows of, of healing, divine and medical. And he said, guess what? Those two streams of healing, guess where they flow from? Jesus. And he was a healing evangelist. That's what he did. He traveled all over the world, laying hands on the sick and watching them recover. But he believed in it so much there was a hospital on our campus back in the day. You know, so, so I just want you to understand, yes, it's all Jesus. But Jesus partners with you when you step forward and begin to confront the battle that's in your mind. So I want you to open up your Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter seven. And that's probably the longest I've ever preached without getting to a scripture. But I want you to look here because we're gonna look at a professor in scripture. He's not, but to us, During this series, Professor Paul, he is the guy that's going to guide us into thoughtology, the power of our thinking and how God uses our thoughts to change our lives. And so he knew two truths that we also need to know. You're going to see this in Paul's writings. These two truths kind of come out, and I'm going to word it this way. The battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. We talked about that already. Number two, your thoughts will control you. So you have to control your thoughts. Don't lose that one. Your thoughts are going to control you. So you've got to control your thoughts. And I'll be honest, Paul, he's not always been a thought warrior. Watch this. Let's stand to our feet. I love to stand and honor his word. This is how Paul described himself in Romans 7. For what I am doing, I don't understand. (laughs) I've told my wife that before. I don't know why, honey. For what I will do, I don't practice. But what I hate, I do. If then I do what I will not do, agree with the law that is good, but now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't know how to find it. Can you hear this confliction of this fellow? Where's this confliction rooted? In his mind. That soulish part, that mind, will, and emotion, it's, it's a deep, soulish issue. And he's like, I'm spirit, but I'm flesh. And there's this thing in the middle that's fighting on both sides. There's this thing in the middle saying that flesh can be sanctified. That flesh can be lined up to the will of God. And your mind, if you will, can be empowered and your spirit can get activated by the spirit of God and bring change. But your mind is right there in the middle. That soulish part of you. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's right there in the middle. You can see this fight going on. 19, for the good that I will to do, I don't do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You can even see, he's not making an excuse. He's just saying, this isn't who I am. It's the sin that's in me. It's in that flesh over here. It's not who I am. I've been redeemed. I'm a new creature. But this is the battle I'm facing I want to be who God wants me to be, but I'm so bound back to the law of my flesh. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That's the spirit of man, okay? That's your spirit. He's like, over here, I I want God's best. I delight in all that God has for me. But there's a battle, there's a struggle, there's a fight. I see another law in my members, Warring against the law of my mind. (laughs) you catch that? Bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. In other words, my mind is trying to get involved. There's this fight, but my flesh wants to bring me into captivity, keeping me from all that God has, the best that God has. My inward man is crying out for more. That's, That's you when you get up in the morning and you're laying in the belly. This is my day. I'm going to... Before your foot hits the floor. No, I guess I'm not today. Maybe tomorrow. You know Your spirit's just crying, like, oh, let's do this. I know you're still standing. And then it ends with verse 24 Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Does this sound like a guy who has mastered his thoughts yet? No. Go ahead and have your seat. Does it? It does. You know what I love about our Holy Script, our Bible? Because there's other religions that have other writings. What I love about our Bible is this, that all the mess, God is not afraid of it. Like, this is one of God's best. Apostle of the faith, this is one of God's best, one of the generals, if you will. And he's willing to allow himself to be exposed early in the ministry. This is how I feel, this is what I'm fighting with. I love scripture for that. Most of our best heroes are a piece of work. And the scripture shows us that but God uses them. He develops them. He takes them further, and I believe this is a big part of the process of how he does that, and so this guy had not mastered his thoughts yet. Sounds a little crazy, actually, but watch this in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Check out how he starts to describe himself later in history. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. In other words, I have a secret that I've learned to embrace that is not dependent upon external experiences. I've learned how to take any external experience and use it in such a way for the benefit of my life as God leads Verse 13, then he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, that does sound like a man who has mastered his thoughts, doesn't it? Yeah. Paul's writings are going to teach us the biblical way to win the battle in our mind. And we're going to be dealing, today I'm dealing with showing how science has proven theology or has caught up to theology and then giving you an a, a, a exercise to do. Next two weeks, we're going to be really digging into the very practice of this and how to begin to apply God's word. Because the Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your, yeah, your mind. And we're going to get really deep into this, okay? And, and I, in between services, I had a man who was here. And I love this. He, he was a first responder on active call today. So he was here. He had his little, hey, hello, you know. And, um, and he was the boss today, actually. So, you know, I, 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 it was kind of asked of him. I kind of, hey, are you... Your boss is okay, and I'm the boss. And so, oh, good, okay. But he was in service, and he explained to me just the idea of how a family member of his had, had the church, he went to the, she, the person went to the church to get help, and it was just basically, pray this away, pray this, do this. You know, it was, it was, I hate to say it this way. It, just, it was all what people would say, spiritual stuff, and it wasn't helping. And she had to get some practical things And her life changed, but it caused a division with her heart in the church because they didn't have something to offer. It shouldn't be that way, amen. There ought to be practical how-tos for every biblical ought to. Y'all to be a conqueror. Well, tell me how. Y'all to walk in strength. Well, tell me how. Y'all to have your mind renewed. Tell me. Well, that's what this series is designed to do. Amen. And. The power of the Holy Spirit gets on that and brings victory. amen. We don't just will ourselves to health. That's not what this is. that's humanism. But there is a partnership that the Bible challenges us to be renewed by our minds, and we're leaning into that. So I have no clue where I'm at. So give me a second. We're "Oh that no, no, that's good. Preach that already.. Uh yeah, I'll say this again. I think I already said, oh no, I already said it. I'll say it again. Your mind is a battlefield and the battle for your life is always won or lost in your mind. I'm sure I said that already. (laughs) But here's the thing. Don't think about the power of your thoughts, which only makes them, I'm sorry. We don't think about the power of our thoughts, which only makes them uh, much more powerful. Here's what I love. God made us this way. He did. What science is demonstrating today is what God told us through Solomon 3,000 years ago. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if both the Bible and modern science teach us that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, then we need to ask ourselves something. All right? Do you like the direction your thoughts are taking you? Do you catch that? Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. You know that. You wake up in the morning, and all you can think of, ooh, maple, maple long john. Anybody in the north know what a long john is? Amen? Has some Yankees in here? It's a a cream stick, you know? And so you wake up in the morning, I want want me a maple long john, a cup of coffee, you know? And, and, And man, it's in your mind. It's the strongest thought. And you can't drive past Duncan's without grabbing. It's just, it's in your mind. It's the strongest thought. I, I can remember something that set my life in motion forever. Amy and I, we were young. And as I went to do an internship, she didn't want to date while I was on the internship. She wanted to date around because she had not dated much. I started dating her when she was 16, you know. But and you try the you know, you start dating the best at first. I mean, what you going to do? But I really felt it was wise, too. And so we, we broke up, still wrote letters. This is before cell phones. Well, there were cell phones, but they were in a bag, you know. And so I'm in PA for this year internship. And a few months into it, we get invited to preach a revival in Wilson, North Carolina. And while I was there, there was a beautiful brunette petite. Looked like Amy in that sense, brunette, petite young lady. And a little bit older than I was. I think I was about 19, 20. She was about 24 or so, 25, older woman. And, but man, she led worship from a piano. And man, she sounded like my mama talked. You know what I mean? She just, because she's from North Carolina, she just had that, that draw. And, and she's playing piano and just shouting it down. I mean, just so good. And then she would testify. And she, she could preach. And I was just kind of like, hmm. I wonder if that'd be a partner for ministry. I know it's horrible to think, but when you're a pastor and you're young, that's kind of where your brain's at. And um, so, I, you know, just my mind was on that. But, but um, you know, a couple days in, my mind's like, no, Amy's the one. I just knew it, you know. That was my strongest thoughts. I get back to Pennsylvania, and I get a call from that young lady's uncle saying that she may be interested in courting, you know. And, and, I, and I just lied. Oh, I, I'm engaged, <laughs> I shouldn't have. I was 20. I was just still getting sanctified. <clears throat> I'm engaged, you know, and um, engaged in thinking about Amy all the time, but. But I felt like I was supposed to fast. So my strongest thoughts were, I think Amy's the one. I don't want to waste time right now dating. I want to focus on ministry development. And as God's working in this internship in my life. So those are my strongest thoughts. And so everything started following that. So I took a week to fast. At the end of the week, I felt like God was like, Amy's the one. So I call my sister. Why? Because your life follows the pattern of your strongest thoughts. So I call my sister and I'm like, Tammy, go down to the jewelry store and put me a ring on layaway. She's like, do what? I, I'll pay you back. Just go put something on the layaway. And so I started paying on that ring. And it was years later when Amy found out that my sister picked her wedding band. <laughs> I told Tammy, my sister, I said, I'll come home, because I was preaching a few months after that, I'll come home when I'm preaching at this event, and I'll go look at the ring, and if I like it, great. And if not, I'll just have them exchange it for a different one. Well, I liked it, you know. So, yeah, she picked it, but I liked it. Amy made me get her a new one at the tenth anniversary. (laughs) She did, Um, (laughs) but my my I fasted. I just knew she was the one. That ring took me a year to get out of layaway, and I had come back home at that time, at that point, about nine months later. And she and I, you know, we took up court and just her and I, you know, like um, exclusive. And um, but I had that ring in my drawer, paid off for six months. You know, why? Because my life was being set in motion by my strongest thoughts. This is going to be my wife. Two weeks before I asked her to marry me, she's like, I hope you don't ask me to marry you. <laughs> she said that. And I'm like, girl, you don't understand. My life is being controlled by my strongest thoughts. <laughs> Those thoughts, no, no, not like that. <laughs> Those thoughts are marriage, you know. And, but she said that literally two weeks before. But man, I just kept going after God, and, and I felt like the Lord said, No, it's time. And on her birthday, I asked her, and six months later, we were married, and that was 28 years ago. You know, it's been a good life, you know. But the strongest thoughts. Now, here's the thing there was prayer, fasting, there was a lot that was involved in establishing those strong thoughts, because you get other strong thoughts too. I know He's the one. He's, dude, He is broke. He's rude, you know what I'm saying? But I, I know he's the one. Oh, I've never said this, preacher, but just, I'm gonna say it. It's a lot of fun. You want to hear this? You know, I'm looking for my Jabez. Not my Jabez. I'm looking for my Boaz. I'm looking for my Boaz. You know? I know, but he's a broke ass. <laughs> he a dumb ass. <laughs> he a mean ass. <laughs> I'm still going to hell. All right. But, you know, it works in the reverse, too. That's why you got to be submitted to God. I'm not just saying you will stuff and then go walk in it. No, no, no. You live a submitted life to the Spirit. And then you begin to walk in the mind, mental transformation that he's giving you in those regards. And then you walk in it. Okay? i got to keep going. So, in recent years, there's been an entire discipline of modern psychology that has developed along these lines called cognitive behavioral therapy. What that is, it's a discipline that reveals that many problems from eating disorders, relational challenges, addictions, even some forms of depression and anxiety are rooted in faulty and negative patterns of thinking. So treating those problems begins with changing what you're thinking, and the discovery of neuroplasticity revealed that you're not just changing your thinking, you are literally changing the structure of your brain. This gets me excited. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week in regards to sin and what happens when we're walking in sin. and What happens to your brain when we're walking in sin? I think God gave me a revelation on that. So neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to form and reorganize synaptic connections, especially in response to learning or experience. You have stimuli, and your body begins to be shaped. Your brain in regards to that stimuli, and then guess what that does? That causes you to live differently, which creates more experiences, and so on. And so neuroplasticity, it's the ability of the nervous system to change its activity in response to intrinsic, that's inside, or extrinsic, that's outside, stimuli by reorganizing its structure, functions, or connections. So just to clean all that up, What it means is what goes on in your mind and in your life literally changes your brain physically. Like that flat earth, they thought the earth was just, this is what it is, you can't travel. Well, the brain, it's just stuck. Those patterns of of life that have been placed in you from birth to adulthood, your brain's not going to change. And what they have found in science is that your brain is plastic, and neuroplasticity means that literally structural changes are happening as you go forward in life, both for the good and for the bad. When you think or do something repeatedly, your brain actually changes its physical structure. So your environment, your experiences, your emotions, your attitudes, your self-talk, all of your perceptions, your brain is imprinting itself with every message that it gets. So with the discovery of neuroplasticity, it says that because your brain is constantly rewiring and changing itself, You are creating at this moment the person you're going to become tomorrow. And you're physically wiring that person into your brain. I don't want to just say you are. God is using his process of being transformed into the image of who God is, of Christ. His Christ-likeness in you is literally happening on a formative level in your brain. And then it's lived out in in the world. And we're going to discover again the next couple weeks what that looks like. That's the remarkable power of how God created us and how neuroplasticity works. God has created you to win the battle of the mind. So with the discovery of neuroplasticity in the human brain, our old notion that our lives are set, that's over. We're not just destined by our genes or our past to follow the path that, 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 that fortune gave us. No, no, no. That's all thrown out the window. God has created you fearfully and wonderfully made, and he partners with you with the Spirit, and he shows you from Scripture how to line that brain up and for him to use who you are, that transformation, to walk into the best that God has. Now, where neuroplasticity came into being was in the study of stroke victims, Years ago, as they tried to rehabilitate stroke victims, they realized they wanted to know what was going on in the brain. And, and decades and decades and decades now, things like PET scan, MRI, um, something called the transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS, all these various things were being employed and used when they were trying to help these people with their physical disabilities. And they were literally being able to see in real time what was going on. And in real time, with brain imaging, mapping, the neuroscience could see inside while the brain was working. And what they saw was this, that literally changed their overall picture of the way the brain works. They saw the brain rewiring synaptic connections and various things. The discovery that the brain is continually rewiring itself based on new input it receives, they found that to be kind of like the holy grail of change. The holy grail of growth, the holy grail of, of healing when it comes to these people that are sick. It is that the brain itself is plastic and able to change, and that plasticity creates a neural activity feedback loop, which leads to thinking again and thinking again, experiencing and thinking and experiencing. The brain sets up a continuing self-perpetuating cycle of success or failure that lies at the heart of why we act, live, and feel as we do. See, science has caught up with Scripture. That's all that's happened here. I don't know about you, when the Bible, like I said, and modern psychology say the same thing, I want to know more. I do. So here, listen, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Don't forget that. What we think shapes who we are. And you know, if you get into looking at, like, self-help books and all that stuff, they all kind of fall into a certain pattern, but I don't want to go into that. I want to look at the idea of neuroplasticity in Romans 12.1, the renewing of the mind over the next few weeks. I want to look at how God has created us. But if you read self-help books the past decade, you'll recognize the rules that they taught us, set goals, think positive, learn to be organized, manage your time. How many had a Franklin Planner back in the day? A few of you. I'm, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm aging myself. Remember that you created what you believe in most. Focus on what you want to achieve. Work hard. Never give up. You know, that, that's, that's all that thing. And then in order to walk in all that stuff, the psychological discipline or scientific approach of cognitive behavior therapy comes in, and it basically has people focus on bringing change in a three-step process. And so CBT basically is about intention, repetition, and outcome. Intention, repetition, and outcome. And again, the outcome, as you have the outcome, it changes what your next intention is, what you're going to repeat, and then another outcome. And that's the feedback loop, okay? What I love is science caught up with Scripture because Scripture's been saying this for 2,000 years. I mean, 3,500 when you count the Old Testament. But in Philippians 4, 8, 9, you know this Scripture, but I'm going to give something you never saw before in here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Say think. All right? Think about these things. Think. That's intention. It goes on. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Say Practice. Yeah, practice. That's repetition. Isn't that what practice is? And then, and the God of peace will be with you. Oh, who wants to experience the God of peace? That's the outcome. So we can see the scripture has been teaching this process of taking control of your thought through thinking, which is intention. Think about these things. And then he says to act or to practice these things, that's action, at least in the CBT world. But it's repetition is what it is. And then the God of peace will be with you. It's experience in the CBT world. It's outcome. I think God understood how he created us. Amen? And so psychology is not something to be afraid of. It's to understand they're thieves. They just stole the best of what God's been saying all this time. And then we get and listen and get afraid that we're getting into something weird over here. When God's been teaching us all along, But guess what? People try to do it through this person and guess who gets the glory? And we can do it through scripture and Jesus gets the glory. I don't know about you, but when the Bible and modern science, I've said it again, when they say the same thing, I want to know more. And so Paul knew two truths and we're finishing. I know I'm going long. He knew two truths that we need to know. We've already discussed the first, the battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. And number two, your thoughts will control you So you have to control your thoughts. Just know the series isn't about Sundays. You are being invited into a mastermind experience, and you need to do work between today and next Sunday. And so in mymomentumchurch.tv, you're going to see at the bottom of your notes, you're going to see a mental audit. I want us to conduct this week a thought audit. All right? We're going to hit pause this week, and we're going to think about what we're thinking about. That's your goal. Your goal this week is to think about what you think about, to be intentional about what's coming in your mind. That's the first place we're going to start. As you go through your normal day, take stock of your thoughts. Write them down. Type them. Maybe take your phone and put them in your phone. Maybe a thought comes and you get your voice message. Really want a long job. Okay? (laughs) All right. Trust me, if you really want to change, you need to invest the time to figure out what you are regularly thinking about. Be honest. Don't lie, all right? Evaluate the different factors that are consistent in your day. Also look for the things that are inconsistent. Are you more negative in the morning and you get positive later, or vice versa? Do you find yourself procrastinating at different times of the day? Think about those things, you know? And what's going to happen is going to give you two categories. I won't read all these because we, we, we should have finished seven minutes ago. But you're going to have a category of defense and a category of offense that you're going to be thinking through. And these are in those notes. You'll find them. So defense, are my thoughts tearing me down? Do I think worried thoughts? Do my thoughts cause me to keep people at a distance? Are my unhealthy thoughts keeping me from the life God wants for me? Are my thoughts negative, toxic, or self-deprecating? And there's a bunch more. On the offense, are my thoughts building me up or building others up? Do I think peaceful thoughts? Does my self-talk inspire me to take faith risks? Ooh, I love that one. Do my thoughts help me get closer to others? Are my thoughts God-honoring? Do my thoughts reflect my faith? Ooh, there's a lot of thoughts that are uncontrolled. we got to be honest with ourselves. That doesn't reflect my faith. That thought's not God-honoring. The Bible says, take captive of those thoughts. My my thoughts, do they reflect my hope in Christ? Do they inspire me to believe and make a difference in the world? And and there's there's a few others. But take time with that. And so here's what your goal is, and we're going to pray. I want everybody just to kind of go like this as a, a sign of submission to God or surrender to God. Here's the goal for this week, okay? Just one real big goal, and that is that I want you to think about what you think about, okay? Jesus, we come to you. We ask that you would help us think about what we think about. Lord, you've created us in such a way that that your word tells us that we can think on these things, practice these things, and experience your peace. And so this week, as we start to take that first step of just thinking, of taking control of our thoughts, knowing what we're thinking about, God, just visit that time. Allow us to be honest, full of integrity, I pray. In Jesus' name, we look forward to you meeting with us spiritually, supernaturally, as you take us through this audit and as we prepare our minds to be submitted to you so that every part of who we are will follow the ordering of your steps in our life, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.